I love. I love teaching at Christmas. Um, it's my favorite time of year. If you've been with us for a while, you've heard me preach a few Advent messages, and it is my absolute favorite. But I have to be honest with you, I'm kind of dragging, limping, crawling into, not today, it's okay, but um, into this season, into um, Christmas. I don't know if any of you feel the same. I've spoken to a few people just this week, and it feels like Gosh, I, I'm tired. I don't know about you guys. I'm tired. Um, I've been a little stressed. The last couple of weeks for me has been somewhat intense. I was in a car accident. Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> just minor. But um, my little puppy, I told you about my puppy about three weeks ago. She's great. But then she has had an emergency already. So with the vet. And then my kids got sick. And then I got sick. And, you know, it's crazy time of year for nonprofit. And that's the work that I'm in. So it's just been, like, really intense. And I found myself um, about middle of this last week realizing I was kind of holding my breath. Like, <gasps> Just got to get through this certain date. Just got to get to Christmas. Just got to get to whatever it is. Maybe some of you can relate to that this morning. The sense of like, just got to get past that really awkward work Christmas party. Maybe I've got to get past that family dinner. I've just, maybe some of you just feel, I just got to get past the holidays. Like I'm just, I'm over December and I want to be in January. And, and I get that. And you know, I think however we come this morning, it's okay. I think church should be a place where we can just come as we are. And I want to encourage you that if you feel that way, if you feel like me this morning, whatever way, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or busy or stressed, this is the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came for us. He came for those of us that are broken and unable to do it all by ourselves and can't hold it together and feeling stressed and overwhelmed. And he came for that reason, to kind of break through all the brokenness and all the sin and all the stuff that so many of us are walk, walking in. He came for us. And so I want to encourage you this morning that as I share to just breathe, just let yourself breathe and be as you are and let Jesus meet you exactly where you are at. You know, he's still about the same work that brought about the first Christmas. He's still doing that. That's his heart here this morning is to rescue and restore. And I don't know, I'm going to be the first to raise my hand and say, I need a rescue this morning. I need a rescue this Christmas season. And, and it's okay if you feel like that too. I want to open this morning with kind of an obscure scripture. It's a strange one, and it, but it's meaningful, and it's going to kind of set up what I want to talk to you about this morning. And it's out of Genesis 3, actually. And it goes like this. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that this morning, no matter how we feel, Jesus, you are king. The truth is true today, just as it was that first Christmas, that Jesus, you see where we're at, and you came and inserted yourself to be Emmanuel, to be present right where we were at. And Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would come and you would touch our hearts 
And that as you touch our hearts, God, that we would not delay in responding, that we would not set it aside to a more appropriate time, maybe next year when we're feeling ready to make that move or take that step. But Lord, this morning there would be an urgency in our hearts to say yes to you, that there would be an expanding of our hearts to be open to receive you this morning, Lord Jesus. And I ask God that you would push back distraction and you would push back any work of the enemy that would want to hinder what you're doing this morning and instead that you would be welcomed as King Jesus because that is who you are this morning. We want to say we love you, Holy Spirit. Come and do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to give a little bit of backstory to that scripture that I opened with. This is God speaking in the Garden of Eden. This is that place of perfection, that place of shalom that God created. This was his destiny. This was his dream for the world. He created this garden. He created this world that was perfect. No shame, no pain, no suffering. And then he invited us to be alongside of him in this partnership, in this co-laboring, in this loving the world that he had put around us. And he invited Adam and Eve to say, hey, partner with me in loving this world. In fact, in Genesis 1, he said, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God's intention from day one was that we would co-labor, co-rule with him. That we would look out of the world and we'd say, yes, this is a great place. Let's do this together, God. This kind of world was marked with abundance and unity and love and right relationships. And then in comes the serpent. In Genesis 3, the serpent shows up, Satan shows up, and he tricks Eve, and sin enters into the world. And now what had once been perfect, what had been shalom and whole and everything good, was shattered and destroyed and broken. And now man, instead of being interested in co-laboring with God and partnering, doing this together, was actually more about self-preservation, was actually more about himself, Self-rule, selfishness and isolation, hiding from God, making our own decisions, leading our own lives, it being about us, not about caring for the world, not about loving one another, but me, I want to do it my way. I know what's best. I want to rule myself. And so God moves towards Adam and Eve in this scripture that you see here, and he activates a plan. And it's a strange scripture, and it's talking about striking the heel and crushing the head. And many theologians say this is the first glimpse of the gospel right here. That God is referring to one that will come, that will crush the head of Satan. That yes, the snake will bruise the heel, but ultimately the victory will belong to this deliverer, this rescuer. So God sets about a plan. He releases a word, a prediction, a prophecy that he's going to fix this, that he is going to send somebody in response to our sin and our rejection of him and our desire to rule our own lives, that he will send somebody that will intervene, that will crush the head of Satan and deliver us and free us. And this prophecy has been told for generations. 
It's been spoken throughout the Old Testament. As you read through scripture, you see different prophets, different people kind of release these like teasers, these prophetic words, someone's coming, someone's coming, someone's coming. And it's not just going to be someone, but it's going to be the one. It's going to be the deliverer. It's going to be this ancient one who's the only one that's powerful enough to crush the snake. In Micah 5, 2, there's this prophetic word. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So here we have a prophetic word that out of Bethlehem will come this ancient one. So everyone's waiting. Jewish people are waiting. And we hear about that a lot during Advent. Everyone's waiting for this message, waiting, waiting, waiting throughout the Old Testament. But it wasn't just the Jewish people. There were other people waiting as well. And we often refer to these people as the three kings, the magi, people that came and journeyed to find Jesus, they were also waiting. And I want to read their story to you this morning, and they'll dig deeper in about what does this all mean for us. So we're going to be reading out of Matthew 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, just like the prophecy, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So here is another group of people who were searching for the Messiah. So much controversy around who these people were. Were there three of them? Did they have those names that we all hear about? Where did they come from? And did they really wear cute red velvet cloaks like all the nativity scenes that we've seen in little, little kids, you know? Like, what, what do we know about them? Well, not a whole lot. There's a lot of mystery and a lot of intrigue around these guys. We know they came from the East, though we don't specifically know when. There's a lot of debate about what that could be. We know that the word Magi is rooted in a Persian word, so they're of Persian descent, but we don't know specifically where they traveled from, what we know is they were pagan. They weren't Hebrew. And we know they studied the stars. 
And this was kind of like a blast from the past, these guys. This is not the first time we're hearing of these kind of people in Scripture. That when you read through the Bible, so much emphasis and focuses on the Hebrew people. These people pop up throughout Scripture. We see them consulting with Pharaoh around the time of Joseph. We see them a lot in the life of Daniel. These people who were journeying and discovering and studying the stars, looking for someone. We even know the story of Balaam. I won't jump into that story but that's the one where the donkey speaks to him, and it's crazy. But he's a pagan that is like speaking all these words, and God uses him to bring a prophetic word about the Messiah. So there's, these people have kind of shown up through history, through scripture, and they're on a journey now. And they're actually seeking the one that people have been prophesying about. Even someone from their own lineage, Balaam, has been prophesying about. They're looking, and they've been waiting too. So they begin this journey, and they're looking for a king. Okay, that's really important today that I want you to grab that. They're not looking just for a baby. They're looking for the one that's been prophesied about, the Messiah, the king, the one who's going to come and crush the head of Satan. Richard Raw says that a good journey begins with knowing where you are and being willing to go somewhere else. I wonder, have you ever set about a good journey, perhaps a move to San Francisco or a lengthy trip? Um, a number of years back, I was taking a lot of trips overseas. I was taking students with me, and I was 20 at the time of this story, and I was heading on a two-month trip to Asia. I had about 18 students with me. And I had been to Asia before, but I had never been solely responsible for a group of young adults like this. We climbed on the plane in San Francisco, and I remember I was seated at the back of the plane, and I was so grateful because before we took off, I was vomiting in the bathroom. Because I was terrified, like I, I, I'd flown before, I'd traveled before, I'd visited these specific places before, but suddenly I was the leader. Suddenly now I was responsible for eight weeks with all these college-age students, like what to do with them? Like what, how is this going to be? I was terrified. But what was ahead of me was more valuable than the security and the familiarity that I was leaving behind. You see, nobody sets out on a journey to move from one place to the other unless what is ahead is more valuable than what they're leaving behind. You see, these wise men left behind maybe family and their own country and their own language and food and culture, and they moved on pursuing something because what was ahead of them was more valuable to them. When I set out on that trip, what was ahead of me was more valuable. I wanted God to stretch me and increase me. I wanted God to do something amazing in the lives of these young people. So I had to leave behind all my fear. I had to leave behind the world as I knew it and stretch out into something new and something different. You see, many of us here this morning, if not all of us, are on a journey. And the challenge to consider this morning is, what are you seeking this morning? What are you chasing? What are you about? What needs to be left behind? You see, some of us this morning, the challenge from Jesus is to leave something behind. Maybe you've been holding on to unforgiveness or bitterness. Maybe you've been holding on to pain or relationship that just didn't work out. Maybe you've been holding on to an identity, a circumstance, a situation, something, and you keep saying, God, I want to move forward. I want to move forward. And the invitation of a journey is to move forward. But in order to do that, you have to let something go. You have to leave something behind. 
Advent reminds us of this journey. It's kind of like we're waiting expectantly for something that's coming, something that's ahead. We talk about waiting a lot at Advent, and I want to ask you this this morning. You know, we, we talk about Advent, we talk about waiting, expectancy. I don't know if anyone else gets to Christmas and then New Year. It almost feels like a, an anticlimax. Like, I did a lot of waiting, and now what happened? Like, we're waiting, was waiting. Did we just wait because that's what we do at Advent? Like, was there any purpose to it? Sometimes we mistake apathy for waiting. We think that slowing down and doing new, new rhythms and doing our Advent devotional and doing a lot of waiting activities, like, that, that's just what we do. There's no purpose in it. But I would want to challenge you and say that there is purpose in waiting, that the waiting is supposed to accomplish something in our life. It's supposed to move us forward. It's supposed to change us. See, Advent doesn't equate to stagnancy. Advent is a posture of our heart of waiting, but God is still calling us forward on a journey. Ruth Haley Barton says that this revelation for the wise men did not come to them while they passively waited. Indeed, they had to strike out on a new kind of journey in order to find what they were looking for. Some, some of us find Advent is a good excuse to wait around and not do much. I mean, let's just be honest, we do a lot of slowing down, it feels really good, and yet the invitation from Jesus this morning is, I want to move you forward. I want to move you past where you are at. I want to move you on a journey into something that's better, more valuable than what's behind. But in order to do that, you're going to have to travel with me. You're going to have to leave something that you've been holding on to. What have you been holding on to this morning? For some of us, the word today is to strike out on a new kind of journey. Yes, we wait in our hearts. Yes, we look expectantly for the king. Yes, we slow down, but we move forward with Jesus. What's your journey looking like? Is it a journey into healing, deeper intimacy? Is it away from isolation and anxiety and despair? What is God inviting you into this morning? You see, these men, these wise men, they were seeking a person, not just a baby, but a king. And the journey was hard. I mean, we don't know exactly how long they traveled for, but it was a good length of time. And it would have been hard, and it would have been exhausting, and most of it happened at night in the dark as they were following that star and looking for its presence. Sometimes journeys are exhausting. Sometimes we don't know where we're going. Sometimes we get scared. Sometimes we think we've taken the wrong turn. Sometimes we look around us for a road sign and we don't have one. And all we have is the word of God in our heart and his presence in front of us. And we just say, okay, I've got to keep going. And we keep thinking, well, I should be there by now. This is taking so long. Has God abandoned me? Where should I go? Should I turn back? That's what journeys are like. I imagine the wise men felt all of those things. And yet they pressed on, they saw the star ahead of them, and they carried that prophetic word in their heart that somebody was coming. See, journeys aren't easy, and sometimes we feel worse before we feel better. Some of you here this morning are feeling like, I've been pressing in and I just feel worse, it's got really hard. I want to encourage you this morning that you are on the right track, that journeying with Jesus is not always easy, but it is always good. It's going to lead you to a person that will free you, that will heal you and restore you and encourage you. But sometimes that journey is hard. Don't be thrown off by the challenge of the journey. 
Are you willing to set about that journey this morning? Maybe there's something in your heart that you're like, I know I've been holding this thing. I know I want to move forward, but I don't know how. I've been clinging to this thing, and I just, are you willing to set that aside this morning and journey towards Jesus? See, there's another player in this story that we haven't talked about yet, and that's Herod. And they approach King Herod, the wise man, and they say, where is this baby? And Herod is not standing alongside the Jews thinking, yes, when is the Messiah coming? I cannot wait for him. He's not throwing a party and celebrating, saying he's finally here. The scripture says he is disturbed by the presence of this new king on the scene. He's disturbed Because I think Herod knew what this meant, that if the true king is here, what does that mean for his kingdom? What does that mean for his life and what he has built? If you go on to read the story, we know that Herod attempts to murder Jesus, that he sends out a command that all of the baby boys under the age of two are to be slaughtered. He's so threatened, he's so afraid of Jesus that Jesus is gonna threaten his kingdom because he knows that if this is the true king, this is the one that's gonna turn everything upside down. This is the one that's gonna challenge his way of life, his kingdom. You see, his kingdom was of self-rule. He was known to be a vicious and harsh king, concerned for himself. He had built a kingdom that served him. You see, and Jesus always threatens the kingdoms that don't serve him. He comes against, he presses against the things in our lives that we build that resist him. Tim Keller writes that in every heart there is a little King Herod that wants to rule and that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. You see, this is the sin that entered the garden when we moved and we shifted into that place of self-preservation and self-rule. And what we began to do is build kingdoms of our own. And we have these little Herods that sit on thrones in our heart. And you might be disturbed by that image after what I told you about Herod slaughtering those babies. You might be even offended, like, I can't believe that you would suggest that I have a little Herod on my throne that would be that evil. But anything that we build and maintain and protect from bringing under the kingship of Jesus is birthed from the kingdom of the serpent. Anything that we build, that we are maintaining and protecting and defending, saying this is my life. I get to build this kingdom. I get to make these choices. I want to make my own decisions. I want to do it my way. Any of those kingdoms a birth from the kingdom of the serpent, not from Jesus. Jesus has always been a threat to those who will build their own kingdoms, sit on their own thrones, whose egos drive them, who call the shots and make the decisions. Keller goes on to say, this dark episode of King Herod's lust for power points to our natural resistance to even hatred of the claims of God in our lives. We create gods of our liking to mask our own hostility to the real God who reveals himself as the absolute king. And if the Lord born at Christmas is the true God, then no one will seek for him unless our hearts are supernaturally changed to want and seek him. 
You see, Jesus didn't come to pet Satan, and he didn't come to leash Satan, and he didn't come to tame the darkness. Jesus came to crush the head of Satan. That was his whole agenda. That's why he came. He didn't come to put it in a corner and say, well, you can be a little bit naughty over here, but I'll take everything else. Jesus came to take it all. Jesus came to take it all, and not because he's a dictator, and not because of his full of himself, but because he looked at the destruction of evil and that it was destroying our lives, that it was breaking us and shattering us, that the shalom and the wholeness and the peace that we all long for, especially this time of year, we couldn't get there. We couldn't get it back. We saw it drifting off in the distance. Like, remember that time when everything was perfect, but as much as we reach for it, we can't grab it. And so because of that, we needed a rescuer, a deliverer, an ancient one that would step in and say, I'm the one that can get that back. And to do that, I will crush the devil. I will destroy Satan on your behalf so you can be free. That's who came. He was a messing around with little kingdoms still staying and saying, oh, that, that's okay, that one's all right, because he knew the damage that the little Herods were doing to us. See, Jesus came to disrupt kingdoms, to overturn the status quo, because he so longs for us to experience freedom. He's so desperate for us to experience that shalom and that partnership with God. You see, what are you holding on to this morning? What is that thing, that, that little throne, that little kingdom that you've built, that you're like, this is okay, this isn't that big of a deal. I love Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. This thing is okay. What is that for you this morning? Maybe it's unforgiveness and bitterness. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you have just not been able to forgive. You've just been holding on to that bitterness. Maybe it's self-pity gossip, judgment, maybe it's comfort. You know, we build these kingdoms of comfort. We want everything as we want it to be. We don't want anyone to step in on our little area, like this is my life. Don't like, don't like make me step out and be uncomfortable. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't wanna be challenged. I just, I, this is my area, I wanna be comfortable. My finances, my resources, I wanna have enough to be comfortable. I want everything to be orderly. I want my kids to be well-behaved and towing the line. I'm just, I'm just building this thing that's just really orderly and perfect and good and comfortable. And before long, we've got a kingdom and everything bows to the throne of comfort. And someone challenges you, and I'm just kind of uncomfortable, as if that's a reason that we shouldn't move forward and stretch out. Some of us feel like we have the right to be angry the right to hold on to that for long periods of time. It's the kind of anger that destroys our marriages. It's the kind of anger that turns to bitterness, that turns to fantasizing about maybe with a different person, in a different life, things could be better. Sometimes we nurse the throne of giving up. Well, this has been so hard for so long, why try? Why try and get my hands back in? I tried so many times. I just want to give up. It's too difficult. I can't expect for anything better. And so we have this throne of giving up. And everything bows to the throne of don't try, don't bother. 
And when our spouse says, I want to give this a try, I want to press in, I'm not even, I'm not even in anymore. I'm giving up. We bow to the throne of giving up. Sexuality, some of us think that we can build many thrones, small encounters, emotional, physical connections, and we'll deal with the consequences later. It's Christmas time, everyone's having a little fling, it wasn't that big of a deal, I'm just, it's not serious, I'll confess later, I'll repent later. Here's the thing, when you set up a throne, it doesn't wanna go later. It doesn't want to leave. And so these little encounters, these little things that we do, that we think we're just messing around sexually, and then before long we're in bondage, and we can't just push that throne out. That pornography addiction, that addiction to the chase of just a relationship, and then ghosting, and relationship, and then ghosting, whatever it looks like, oh, I'll just confess later after the holidays. I just want a little bit of fun. It's been so long. Do you know how long it's been since I've been on a date? I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm trying this. These are the things we tell ourselves. There's an awkward murmur in the room right then. (laughs) These are the things that we tell ourselves about. That's an even bigger awkward murmur. Yeah, it's true. I'm married. Um, I got my own set of issues, but I have a lot of single friends, and I have a lot of conversations, and I know what Christmas time and New Year's means in San Francisco, but let me tell you, God has something better for you. God has something better for you than you putting up these little thrones and these little kingdoms. God came to disrupt that and to free that, free you from that. See, we have a choice set before us this morning. We can choose the way of the wise men who are searching for a king that they wanted to worship. Someone that had been prophesied about for generations, an ancient one that would come and disrupt and change everything. And who really knew what that meant? But they said, we want to find that man. We want to find that person. We want to worship him. We're looking for a king. We want to surrender our lives. We want to bring our gifts. Or we can follow the way of Herod, and we can feel threatened by the kingship of Jesus in our lives. We can say, oh, you know, yeah, he's really great. He's really good. And I've given him like 90% of my life, and it's going great. But that's not the kingship of Jesus because like I've said, he came for 100%. He came for everything. See, we excuse the little Herods in our life. We see life so hard. You don't know what it's like to be a Christian in my line of work here in San Francisco. Don't ask me to give up that one comfort, that one thing. Jesus came to crush the head of Satan so you could be 100% free. You see, that one thing that you think is comforting and is that thing you can lean into when things get really hard, it's a lie. It's actually destroying you. It's actually keeping you from the only true person that can free you. Jesus wants everything for you, not just some of the kingdom. See, if you want to be free this morning, you got a journey for the king. 
You've got to journey for the one that's going to change everything. And this is, a, this is a hard word. This is not a cute Christmas word. I'm sorry if this is your first time at Reality San Francisco. Merry Christmas. But this, this is what Christmas is about. This is what it's all about. It's everything. He came for everything. He's saying, will you journey to me and find me as your king? And will you surrender because you see when you get that I'm so good and I'm going to make it so right. And some of that stuff that you're holding on to, it's just burdening you and it's weighing you down and it's destroying you. Or is that too hard of a word this morning? Is it like, you know, I'm just maybe not ready for that. I still want to resist the work of Jesus in my life. What kind of journey are you on? Do you want to find a baby or do you want to find a king? See, we all want a baby. Everyone wants the Christmas baby because the Christmas baby's cute in a manger. And we all come to church and we say, oh, baby Jesus, he's so cute. He's just, I just love Jesus because it just feels so warm and fuzzy and I could just bounce him on my knee and it's just so good. And then I put him back in the manger. The wise men didn't come to bounce Jesus on their knee. They didn't come to say, oh my goodness, this baby's so cute. We just happened to have some gold frankincense and myrrh. I guess that'll have to do for a baby. No, they brought gifts for a king. You see, some of us are deceived. We think we're worshiping a baby. We're not invited to worship a baby this morning. We're invited to worship a king. Jesus came as a baby and is so good and he stepped into human skin and he lived as part of humanity. But man, this morning, he's saying, I'm here as a king. I'm here as a king. You know, I've had a couple of two-year-olds. My kids are older now. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they're looking at the story, the wise men, they're saying it was quite a few months after Jesus was born that they arrived. Maybe he was 18 months, two years, kind of estimating. So I've had kids that age. I've been around a lot of kids that age. I feel a lot of things about kids of that age, but bowing down and worshiping is not one of them, okay? I feel frustrated sometimes. I feel like, yeah, a lot of things. But it doesn't compel me to say, let me bow down before you and bring you the best that I have. But you see, they knew they weren't bowing down to a baby. They weren't bowing down to a toddler. They saw what so many of us can't see, that he is a king. And he deserves our best. And we come down and we say, our only response is either wonder and worship and everything that I have, or it's indifference. There's nothing in between. It's either take it all, Jesus, all the Herods, all the little kingdoms, everything I'm striving to build, all my agenda, my ego, my pride, the thing that I think this is mine and I get to make a decision. And we either bring all of that and we lay it at his feet this morning and say, God, you are king. You are the Messiah. You are the ancient one that's been prophesied about. You came to crush the head of Satan. Or we have to turn away and say, it's not for me. There is no in-between. We think there's an in-between. We think we can kind of be like, here, Jesus, worship you with here and this little thing. I'm just going to hold back. That, that's not a thing. We think it's a thing. It's not a thing. We either have to give it all or we have to admit that we're not ready to give it all and we have to turn away and we have to walk away. That's the challenge that is set before us this morning. 
What kind of journey do you want to be on? What kind of king, what kind of person are you seeking today? Are you seeking baby Jesus that you can pet and you can snuggle with and feel good about yourself and then put back in the manger and walk away? Or are you seeking someone that's going to totally radically change your life? You see, a lot of us this morning will say, yeah, I want, I want that radical, I want that king. Are you ready for everything to be shaken? Are you ready to really let down and, and lay down that ego and that part that you've just been holding on to? See, that, that core deep place in us, that's the place the Holy Spirit is going for this morning. We're going to move into a time of response. And there is the opportunity this morning to bow down, literally, and come and worship the king, the king that loves you the king that loves you, the king that was compelled to come and crush the serpent out of love for us. There's an opportunity to come and kneel this morning at the carpets. We have communion set up that you can respond. I want to encourage you wherever you're at to take a moment and to really consider who are you seeking this Christmas season? Who are you actively waiting for during this Advent season? What kind of journey are you willing to set about today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you, God, that you came as a king. Lord, I, you know, I'm so glad you came as a baby. I'm so glad you came into our world, but I'm, I'm so glad that you're a king because we need the king. Gosh, Lord, now more than ever, we need the king in our lives, in our country, in our world. Lord, I thank you that you came to destroy the curse, to bless us, to free us. This morning, I pray that, that our hearts would be pressed by your Holy Spirit to respond. Pressed by your Holy Spirit, out of your loving kindness, would you draw us to a place of seeking the king. Lord, would you convict us of places where we have been satisfied with the baby, where we just want something that's cute and feels good, and so we can say we go to church on Sundays, and we can shoot up a prayer here and there, and Lord, would you convict us of those places when that's all we want? We want you to stay in your manger and just look good, and we'll just come when we're ready. Would you convict us of those places? And instead, Lord, would you bring us to a place of saying, we want the king, and we're willing to lay down the little Herods and the thrones and the kingdoms and all the stuff in order to come into your kingship. Lord, would we have the posture of the Magi today, God? Would we have the posture of people that say, we've come to worship, and we've brought the gifts, because we're here for a king. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here because it's Christmas. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Let me just tell you that this word is for you too. It's an invitation this morning to know somebody that has been seeking you that has been journeying towards you since that moment in Genesis when God said, I'm sending someone. 
I'm sending someone. Maybe you're here and you're just feeling like, I've been needing a rescue and I haven't even told anybody. And I've just been needing a rescuer so bad. Let me tell you that since Genesis 3, God has been saying, I am sending someone. And then he sent someone. And then he came and he's here this morning. There's an opportunity to respond and to not leave thinking, oh, that was an interesting word. But to let that word actually penetrate the deep parts of your life to go into this Christmas season, to go into this new year transformed by the King. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.